I can't decide if my desire to start early reflects a desire to end early or if instead it's just to spend more time with others. Like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is Sunday, November the 21st, and uh, I do have a pretty good show for you this week. I had an email from the Devil's Advocate suggesting I talk about materialism and spirituality. And I never know because I understand that when someone writes an email saying, hey, what do you think of this or would you like to talk about this? They already have their own perspectives about the topic. But invariably, no one ever shares those ideas with me. They just say, hey, here's an idea. Run. Grab the ball and run. And so I don't know if I need to know what they were going to think about it or what they expected out of it or what they expect me to do out of the idea. All I know is that this is a blank canvas and I'm going to run with it. <clears throat> I'm mixing my metaphors here, but the point stands that is it better to get primed before you fire or is it better just to let it go and just see what happens? Because ultimately I'm not looking to appease anyone, but I'm also taken aback at times. Like, what do you mean by spirituality? Is there some sort of loaded idea that you have that maybe I don't when you suggest that? Am I going to blow apart <laughs> our potential uh, viewer-presenter uh, relationship <laughs> by me responding to this? I roll the dice anyway. We're going to talk about Satanism, materialism, and spirituality in The Devil's Advocate. In the Infernal Format, it feels like your life doesn't matter how anti-prostitution laws make sex workers less safe. Yeah. They say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think this article kind of proves that point. In the final uh, segment here, we're going to talk a little bit about something I know nothing about, <laughs> which surprise is like everything under the sun. I don't know shit about shit. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. My point is, is I saw three episodes of a series that if you ever read any of the 14 novels based around it, you're going to come into this thinking that I'm going to have some sort of idea or perspective that is based on like education or knowledge. And it's not, <laughs> it never is. It's just me reacting. That's, that's what I do best. I react. I'm like, I'm like a squirrel that sees a shadow pass over it and thinks it's always a hawk. I'm just like, Oh, and I react. That's all I do. So I hope you like squirrels. All right, Gary, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. Zachary, always great to see you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Joaquin, across the way. Hope things are doing fine on your end of the world. Valeria, how are you, my dear? Christopher, I'm getting my tinfoil hat ready. The end is nigh. 
<laughs> I need to get my, my Jesus saves bodysuit sign. I think that was probably the best scene in all of Die Hard film history when McLean had to wear <laughs> that sandwich sign speaking about like racial hatred through Harlem. I don't know why that just, I don't know, it, it queued up my brain there. Sorry about that. Jameson, always good to see you. Thanks for joining live. Jeff, my man, how you doing? Fareeth, thanks for joining live. What's up, DA? Robert, good to see you. Oklahoma, I don't know if anyone else knows. I like that musical. I actually like musicals in general. But I actually like Oklahoma the musical. I don't know why. It's full of machismo and singing and dancing. <laughs> What's not to like about that? If I, I've, I've wanted to do this forever because I always love seeing it whenever I watch um, a sitcom or a drama that does like an episode that's just a, like a singing and dancing musical. You know, like the entire season is normal, but one episode they sort of break ranks and say, you know what, let's just do a, let's do a musical. And then they just do it. Now, whenever it's like the entire season of a show, like if that's the premise that the show is predicated on, it will invariably fail because it sucks. But if you just have like a dash, <laughs> this is me throwing glitter at you, a dash of singing and dancing in one episode of his entire season, it's amazing. It is always that, that, that season with the uh, American Horror Story when they were in the insane asylum and it was just a singing and dancing episode. Best episode ever. And I can only extrapolate that out to my life. If I had a day where everyone I met had to sing and dance throughout the day, that'd be the best day ever. I would always reflect on that day. That is where I met happiness. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. All right. Anyway, the Wheel of Time. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the Wheel of Time uh, already. Wes, how you doing, man? <laughs> Dog, what's up? Sapphire Rose. Terry, how you doing? Thanks for joining live. Jordan, how do you do? All right, what else we got here? John, good to see you. Mr. Victor Wicked, how you doing? You know that, um, ooh, it's actually, well, the way you're looking at the camera, it would be over here, me pointing at it, but it's actually over here. Um, the action figure made for me. I have it, like, on my wall. It is amazing, and I absolutely adore it. So thank you again for that. Cameron, always leaking. You need to go to the doctor. We talked about this. We can't let it drip forever. You got to get it fixed. Leaky pipes are not good. All right. That's all I got. Anyone else? <laughs> Man Camp 22, all musicals, all day. <laughs> I didn't see the Buffy one. I'll have to check that out. All right. I missed the whole Buffy, like, uh, fervor. You know? There was, like, a movement where people were fanatical about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it was like all Sarah Michelle Geller all the time. I think it was in like the mid late nineties. I think, I don't know for sure. Cause I, I was not on that train, but I saw the train pass by and I saw the people on the train leaning out of the windows, like pumping their fists and screaming and yelling at how great it is being on that train. Never really wanted to be on the train. I don't know why I have no reason, but it's probably amazing. I just don't know. Um, Oh, I'm glad you got that. I had nothing to do with it, but I'm glad you picked that up. All right. Let's 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 start the show. Should we? I got a couple more things to talk to you about before we actually start the show proper. First of all, 
I don't know if this is just because I'm getting older. I don't know if this is because I have spirits in my house fucking with me or simply because mechanisms deteriorate over time. But I wake up at 5.30 every single morning and I'm not fully there every single morning. And so when I go to my door of my room to open it and leave and it doesn't open, but I know I turn the handle, I check the lock and I can't open the goddamn door, I can't cogitate what is happening. Like my brain is not firing yet. There's no water or pills or coffee or anything in my system. All I know is the sun's not even up and I need to work out and I can't get out of my bedroom, period. And so I'm like grabbing the handle and shaking it like a madman. Finally, it opens and I literally forget about it until the next morning. It happens again. And I'm fucking with it and shaking it around and finally it opens. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Whatever. I forget about it. Because it's so early in the morning, it does not impact me throughout the rest of the day. So I don't think about it until the next morning when my wife tries to get out of that room and she can't get out. Now there's a problem. It's not just me. It's not just me being a maniac, unable to turn and pull, though at times, perhaps I'm not able to, but that's, you know, that's a doctor's issue. You don't need to know about it. You know, HEPA laws, <laughs> HIPAA laws, HIPPO laws, HEPA filters. Oh, there's some sort of law there. And my point being, we literally had to take the hinges off of my door. The, like the, the hinge bolts out of the door in order to open the motherfucking door so that I could get out of my room at 5.30 in the morning to do something that I don't even want to do in the first place. I just do it because I'm a fucking machine and that's just what I do. It's insane. Like I had to like literally rip the door off the hinges because the goddamn locking mechanism is fucked up. It took us like a good four to five days to finally break down. I'm like, all right, we better fix that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're hostages in our room. <laughs> and it took five days for me to do something about it. I don't know what's happening in my life. I've lost all sense of control. I am literally a backseat driver in my own life as the walls crumble about me. It is crazy. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that was today. We <laughs> got new padlocks. I had to drill new holes because apparently when they made this house, it was back in the 50s. When they renovated it, it was in the 70s. So this house wasn't touched since the 70s until I got in it. And so if I have to change out a doorknob, I'm changing out doorknobs from the 50s. And apparently doorknobs got longer nowadays than they were in the 50s. So I had to drill new holes in the doors to like get the actual doorknob to work properly. It's insane. That should be like a thing that never changes. Like, yeah, that's a doorknob. That's how you, you put it in, you, you screw it in, you put the two sides on, you screw those in and you're done, you're good. But no, one size does not fit all in doorknobs. I don't understand what's going on in this world, but again, backseat driver, I don't know what the fuck is happening in my life. Shit like this drives me crazy. All right, so anyway, we got that fiasco taken care of, and now I'm not going to be locked in my room anymore unless, I don't know, ghosts? <laughs> like, unless there's some other insane thing. And what made it worse last night is that I have neighbors 
who don't understand what it means to sleep, apparently, because they will just blast their Latin cultural music loud as fuck all night long. Literally all night long. It was 1.30 in the morning when my wife tried to get out of our room, like shaking it, because she had she had to like make the music stop somehow. It was just it was driving her insane. And we're just like bouncing beans, like listening to this fucking hokey carnival shit music that I don't understand how anyone in any culture could possibly enjoy. But for some reason, my fucking kitty corner neighbor loves it. And I imagine this fucking asshole doesn't like it either. He's got noise canceling headphones on. He has massive like back to the future speakers angled right in my bedroom from the outside in his yard pointing towards mine. And he just cranks it up to 11 while he sits there and watches like the British baking show, enjoying himself, having a delightful time. Meanwhile, I can't sleep. My wife can't sleep. We can't get out of the goddamn room to do anything about it. We are literally trapped and being tortured by our neighbor. What the fuck is happening in my life? <laughs> it's insane. Insanity, man. I'm sweating. Are you guys sweating? Is it hot in your place? God damn. What is happening in my life? It was crazy, dude. It was in insane. It was the weirdest night ever. Literally trapped. And so I'm just like resigning myself. Okay, you know what? When I'm, when I'm more conscious in the morning, I'll deal with it. And then my wife's like, I'm calling the cops. I can't take this anymore. And I'm like, okay, call the cops. Do your thing. So she's in bed next to me. And I can hear the police officers um, like like answering machine basically you know like they're like uh hit number two for blah 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 or you know there, there's going to be an officer waiting here for you momentarily please hold on the line going forever like if there was someone busting into my house and you tried to call the cops we would be dead before they even answered the phone let alone showed up i mean it was insane the amount of time that it took and then my wife was describing she's like we live at this address the sound sounds like it's coming from this uh, address. And they're like, well, you know, can we get a, a specific address so we can check out? She's like, just roll down your window. You will not miss the sound. It is beaming into my skull, into my soul. And I don't even have one. Like Satan is sitting in his pile of, I, I imagine Satan's a lot like Scrooge McDuck. You know, he's got this vault full of souls that he's, that he's bought from people, that he's traded for trinkets and knickknacks and talents and desires. And every once in a while, he just does a little bit of Scrooge McDuck dive through the souls. But anyway, at this particular time, he's probably like just sunbathing on the bed of souls. And mine has like fucking ranchero music pumping out of it. You know, he's just like, what the f What? <laughs> I want nothing. No. He just balls it up and throws it right back at me. It's that bad. All right, I think my neighbor did. <laughs> totally, Dwayne. Totally. It was, ugh. So, yeah, that was my, that's not my, that's not how I live my life. That's what I do. Aside from that chore of living, um, does anyone else hate trying to schedule time with friends? Is it not the worst? 
I'm trying to put together a date and time to just take friends to the desert and throw some rounds downrange. I just want to get together with friends, drink irresponsibly, and shoot cans in the desert. That's all I want to do. And it seems like it's impossible. Like you just can't do it anymore. I grew up doing this activity. And now people have like responsibilities and lives and significant others and desires that differ from mine. What is happening? I don't, it's like this. Uh... All right, I'm just complaining at this point. <laughs> Let's do a little devil's advocate. When you realize that you are boring yourself, let alone those tuning in, it's time to do the devil's advocate. throw up this image and let's get into this. Holy vey. I think I need to see a doctor. <laughs> I feel like every time I do this show, my blood pressure just rises. It just gets worse and worse and worse. All right, let's talk a little bit about Satanism, materialism, and spirituality. When I was in uh, basic training, I was in uh, um, Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Oh, man. Fort Jackson. Anyway, I had come out to um, the, everyone as a Satanist at that point. And so I had always had those people that when they know that you are part of like a weird religion or something that's, you know, they're not familiar with or they just don't know anything about, people try to, you know, meet you on some sort of even playing ground. And when they don't want to say that, you know, if, if you are a Satanist, for example, they don't want to say, hey, I believe in Jesus. So they try to, you know, find this middle ground. They're like, hey, no, I'm, I'm spiritual too. And there's always that too at the end. No, 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 I believe in some weird stuff too. But you don't understand that I don't. So you trying to include yourself in my thing by attaching nonsense to it does not include yourself in my thing. All it does is make me realize that you're speaking out of your ass. And it's painfully obvious what you're doing. So every time I hear spiritualism or spirituality or spirits or essences or paranormal or anything like that, I immediately, like a Pavlov dog ringing a bell, start salivating with frustration. Do you guys salivate when you're frustrated? It's just a thing I do. I just, oh. Um, like Homer Simpson seeing a donut. I'm just like, oh. So I think about spirituality and I try to think, okay, when, when someone brings up the idea of me speaking to materialism and spirituality, well, what can I do? Because ultimately there's a lot loaded in both of those terms. I mean, if you just throw out the word materialism, you know, most people are going to think, well, that, you know, if, if you're a materialist, if you believe in materialism, then you just buy a bunch of stuff and you like having stuff around you and maybe you're a bit of a hoarder. And, and that's not really at all what the definition of materialism is, but that's the colloquial idea of what it is, right? And you can extrapolate that to spiritualism. What do you think about when you think about spiritualism? I immediately go to Victorian era seances when I think of spiritualism. That's just where my brain goes. I see a bunch of old Victorians sitting around a table 
and someone behind a curtain messing with people using like those thunder sheets to make it sound stormy or flashing lights or, or using wires and like sticks to bump people and they're freaking out. That's where my mind goes to. It never once goes to like an actual like ghost because that's outside of my worldview. The ideas of ghosts, I like the ideas, but I just don't believe in them in the same way that I want to believe in aliens, but I just, I can't until I see it, you know? I, I, I'm sure they're out there, but without evidence, I'm just like, yeah, well, they probably exist. Ghosts, I don't really think they exist, but they could. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't really think about it. It's outside of my realm of thought, you know? I'm focused on <laughs> that. So, <laughs> that was really weird. So, I always like to start these conversations with specific definitions so that we all know where we're coming from. We know exactly the playing ground that we're going to start in, right? So what is materialism as a definition? It's a theory that physical matter is the only or fundamental reality and that all being and processes and phenomena can be explained as manifestations or results of matter. So it is not buying as much shit as you possibly can. It's understanding that there's a firm grounding of reality in matter and that is where materialism comes from, the perspective. I don't know if that's what was expected when this question or suggestion came across, but that's where I take it. It's a doctrine that one, um, that the only or the highest values of objectives lie in material well-being and in the furtherance of material progress. So as a Satanist, looking at the idea or the, the definition of materialism, I think total environment. The highest values or objectives lie in material well-being. My total environment. I am at my happiest. I'm at my most content. I'm at my most satisfied when I'm surrounded with what I'm comfortable with, with what I've cultivated, with what I created or bought into, right? So whether that's my profession, my relationship, my family, the, the land that I own, um, the home that I have that was built back in the 50s that I can't get out of. <laughs> I just get stuck in, like an old person. I, I honestly felt, I got to go back for just a second. Just give me a second. I felt like that commercial where the old lady falls down. She's like, I've fallen and I can't get up. I've never felt more helpless than not being able to get out of my own bedroom. Like just shaking the goddamn door. Like, why isn't this... This is a simple mechanism. What, what could possibly be wrong with this mechanism? You turn and pull, turn and pull. I even tried to push it because I was like, maybe I forgot and it's a push door, not a pull door. We've all done that in the fucking wild. You go up to a department store and for whatever crazy reason, they have a pull door, which should clearly be a push door. And so you're like trying to push it and it's not going in and then it has a big like pull to open and you're not like even paying attention to it because you're not supposed to pull right or vice versa it doesn't matter but the fact remains that i can't figure out how to operate a door and i am <laughs> at the doorstep of death apparently as helpless as an old woman who broke her hip falling down i need one of those necklaces with like a little alarm button i need someone to help me 
They need a life alert. Satan me life alert. That's, that's a good idea, Mr. Victor Wiggins. All right. Um, back to materialism. Uh, uh, preoccupation with or stress upon material rather than intellectual or spiritual things, right? So it's focusing on the here and now over possible other dimensions and realms and ideas and as you know whatever i'm like doing the hula all right <laughs> so with the idea of what materialism actually is well that's satanism that's 100 percent satanism cut and dry from the beginning as codified back uh in the day like plain and simple satanism is materialism per those definitions Satanism is not spiritualism. So what is spiritualism? Well, the definition of spiritual is of relating to or consisting of or affecting the spirit, right? This, this incorporeal uh, essence that somehow embodies who you are. Um, of or relating to sacred matters is also spiritual. Things of a spiritual, ecclesiastical, or religious nature. So we always have to look at this from a realm of who is writing this, what are the, the context in how they're writing these, uh, these ideas. And I always relate this back to the founding fathers of the United States of America, right? Because they clearly wanted separation of church and state, but they still spoke of this idea of God. And why would one do that? If you want a separation of religions, why would you speak of a context of religion? Well, it's the same reason why every great sculptor and painter in the Renaissance were painting and sculpting religious iconography. That's the zeitgeist of the era. You know, first and foremost, the only people who could afford commissions were religious people. So they clearly would pay the painters and artists to paint what they wanted them to paint, and then they would do it. A couple of painters and sculptors would go on their own and uh, sort of, uh, you know, put in secret messages and stuff, which is always kind of cool to discover. But the fact is, is that they did what the people paid them to do. So it's of the time. It's the zeitgeist that's going around. So whenever you think in terms of uh, the founding fathers, for example, and why I'm bringing this up, is because they came out of the Victorian era. Like that, that's just how it works. They, they came from this understanding that the entire world, as far as they knew it, believed in a god and so that's the context in which they operate in when they're writing when they're speaking when they're thinking it's not that they actively believed in a religion hence the freedom from religion it's not that they actually went out of their way to believe in a god or anything but that was just the idea of the day and so they did that and spirituality is the same thing there's this idea that we always have to cater to what the masses think and so you say, well, what's spiritualism? Well, it's uh, ecclesiastical and it's a religious nature. You're just making that up because that's the context in which you want it to exist in. So what other contexts could spirituality exist in? I'm not really concerned with it because I'm a materialist. <laughs> but they are opposite ideas of a spectrum. You are either concerned about the here and now in the tangible world or... You're not, and you're concerned about the possibilities of a hereafter, those spiritual pipe dreams that the Satanic Bible so eloquently states. So Satanism is not, has never been, 
cannot, will not, would not be in any way possibly spiritual. I did an entire speak of the devil on spiritual Satanism. And I love me some witches after I think she's phenomenal. But she always takes, of course, because she's an academic, the academic perspective. And that is that as long as there's a group of individuals saying that they're Satanists and saying that they believe in spirituality, then academically you have to address them on their own grounds. As a Satanist, I don't agree with that at all. I think, no, I mean, the reality is, is this has been codified. This is how it is in the, in the cultural norms. The only people who are Satanists who claim to be spiritual are actual just Christian bad guys. They, <laughs> they look to the Christian devil. So again, they are Abrahamic in their religious personification, but they're just saying, instead of siding with the good guy in the story, I'm going to side with the bad guy in the story. That does not spirituality make that a Christian makes. So again, there's no spiritual Satanist at all ever. There cannot be because Satanism does not entertain the pipe dream of spiritualism. It doesn't concern itself at all. And in fact, if you want to extrapolate the idea of magic, which seems like, yeah, of course, magic, yeah, there must be some sort of spiritual or supernatural element. No, there's really not. There's just that dark force in nature that we tap into that we just haven't as a species understood yet. That's really all it is. We're not trying to say it's spiritual. We're not trying to say that there's some ooky monster hiding underneath tons of rock that you can have somehow summon up from a circle of salt and they'll, you know, it'll protect you from them as they grant you your desires. Or you go out into some puritanical woods and you dance around with this devil and you have to kiss his butt. He's always thought it was a weird thing. I never understand the kissing of the butt. What? What? What's, what's the butt kissing thing? I understand the context of like you know it's supposed to be brown noser you know you're, you're kissing ass, but in the context of puritanical witches, what does the butt like have a gateway of magic in it? Is this what we've all been missing our entire lives? There's like this <laughs> devil magical butthole portal that the witches of old Salem knew about. And we've just sort of scoffed at because it's ridiculous sounding, but really, it's like a thing. <laughs> like you just, it would be like Army of Darkness, like Ash getting sucked into the, the, the past, but instead it would just be us being sucked into the netherworld of the devil butt. I don't know. It's possible. It could happen. Spiritual Satanists believe so. Um, so... Whenever I think of the context of materialism or spiritualism, it is always the context of Satanism and reality, materialism, and Christianity and spiritual pipe dreams and spiritualism. There, there's no real conversation to be had in this. Um, and it's really difficult when you do run into people like, well, I believe this because I've had personal experiences like this. Okay, that's fine. But you cannot take one subjective anecdotal experience and extrapolate it out to a worldview. That's not how reality works. You can bend light. We can do things that are fundamentally amazing and mysterious. You can throw your voice. You can perform acts of illusion. But that doesn't make it real. That means you're playing a game against your human brain, which is flawed in its perceptions. So your brain failing to operate properly 
does not make reality. That just means it was fooled. You would never base a worldview off of a, a shortcut in your brain. That's insane. And yet they have, they do. And for whatever reason, whenever someone experiences something that's unexplainable and mystical and magical, and they attach the idea of spirituality to it, they try to attach that idea to every other philosophy out there, every other idea out there. And like, whoa, well, now in my world that I'm in now, I, I want to be a Satanist or I, I identify with the standard Bible. And so I see myself as a Satanist, but I have these experiences that I can't explain. It must be spiritual. Is there a spiritual side to Satanism? No, there's not. Sorry. There's not. It just, it doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> you guys are having fun with that. <laughs> That's funny. <clears throat> Can't you time travel through bus stuff? <laughs> you totally can. I had a cousin who told me he did once. <laughs> so it must be true. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to sort of find ways of, of extrapolating this idea, but unfortunately I can't. Um, there is no such thing as spiritualism in reality. It just does not exist. It's, it's, it's a, literally a dream, a want, an, a what if. It is uh, an alternate reality. And as Satanists, the purpose of this religion is to focus on the here and now, the materialism of the here and now. Your happiness and success in the here and now. It doesn't mean you have to buy certain things or quality of things in order to be a Satanist. It doesn't mean you have to be a Republican and want to hoard money in order to be a Satanist. It just means that your head is grounded. It is not floating around in mystical mumbo jumbo. That's really all it means. It means that you are focused on you and here and not on what ifs and possible alternate realities and dimensionalities. If we're somehow shown and proven that there is in fact this ether realm, well then it's no longer fiction. Then it's reality and we can deal with it then. But as far as we understand everything now, that's all made up. It's just bullshit. And there's no, no there's nothing wrong. I, I really want to make this clear because again, I like aliens. I like the idea of aliens. I love playing with the possibilities. So there's nothing wrong with you having fancy, you know, imagining possibilities. Like if that's what you want to do, do you, but not at the expense of the moment, not at the expense of the now. You know, it's a very sort of Jedi teaching in Star Wars, you know, be mindful of the present. But yeah, you have to. Because if you don't, then you're allowing someone else to put you in your place in the present. If your head is off in the clouds, someone else, someone else down here is shifting you in a direction and pushing you. And sometimes that's going to be like a religious leader in uh, Abrahamic religions. Sometimes that's going to be a boss or a loved one or someone that's going to just uh, take advantage and abuse you. Sometimes it's a Satanist. Hey, your head's in the clouds free game but ultimately it means that you're not in control because your head is out there if your head's here and it's down here with the rest of us well then you have an opportunity of actually affecting down here with the rest of us that is satanism full stop
So get your head out of class, people. And out of the uh, devil in the woods butt. I see a lot of comments about that. Magic is a technique that only a few can fathom. I like the idea. Yeah, magic as a Satanist is one of those things that some Satanists cannot get over that hurdle of the word magic. You know, that word is too far for them to even entertain because they are so grounded. And there's nothing wrong with that. As a Satanist, you do not have to engage in greater magic at all. Lesser magic is just applied psychology, and so there's no actual magic involved. It's just you being using your wiles and guiles in order to get your wants, right? And get your, your, uh, your desires realized. But the idea of greater magic for so many Satanists, if you reject the idea of spirituality, how can you then accept the idea of magic? And it all comes down to the fundamental idea of what Satanic magic is and what it is not. So, for example, I suffer from debilitating asthma. And if I did not take one specific medication every single month that took me years to discover, I would have a hard time breathing and I could just die. That's just how my life works out. And no matter how many rituals I engage in, no matter how hard I believe, it doesn't fucking matter. Satanic magic is not going to get rid of my asthma. This is a material problem that must be dealt materially. You break your leg, it's not going to be healed by satanic magic. That's just a reality that you have to understand. There, there's the combination lock principle in order to perform, and there's the balance factor in order to expect what you can get out of satanic magic. That's the context of another show, though. So we're already like halfway through the show. Let's dive into this next topic with the Infernal Foreman. agree <laughs> I felt so helpless it was the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life fucking doorknobs all right <clears throat> it feels like your life doesn't matter how anti-prostitution laws make sex workers less safe this is actually sent in thank you so much for sending these in I really do appreciate you this is from denverpost.com Mia, a sex worker, was performing a lap dance at a Boulder strip club when a customer aggressively grabbed a part of her body she had clearly stated was not to touch. Mia told management what happened and asked them to remove the man from the club, and when they did not, she went to the police. The only person punished in the case was Mia. The club fired her, said that she uh, and the prosecutors told her that the odds were very slim that she'd win over a jury because they believed that her status as a stripper would be enough bias to not have the person convicted. A common fear among sex workers that people who commit crimes against them, including assault, theft, harassment, or stalking, won't face consequences. It's a result of a deeply entrenched dehumanizing view of sex workers. Ella West of Adams County put it, 
She feels like she's not a part of society. She doesn't get a voice. No one really cares about sex workers and how things affect them. And we have to walk through the world knowing that people feel that way. It's this constant idea that you, no matter what, are the victim. You never have a say. Society sees you as the victim. They see you as disgusting, and so you must be the victim, or you must be a, a slave of some sort, that you could never have chosen this uh, profession in any way yourself, and that if something bad does happen to you, well, somehow it's your fault for being in that profession. Now, we can extrapolate that to other professions, and let's say, you, let's say you're a sandwich artist <laughs> at Subway, and someone comes in to rob the subway because we all know that subway's loaded with cash, so why wouldn't someone go in to rob a subway? And the sandwich artist, I love the idea of a sandwich artist. The sandwich artist says, I will not hand over the money, and they get shot. Is there a world that we live in that says, well, he was a sandwich artist. He kind of had it coming. See how he was dressed? No, that doesn't exist. So why do we then extrapolate that to other professions? Because you work in a strip joint means that you're welcoming sexual assault? That doesn't make any sense at all. And the fact that you're so disenfranchised that you don't actually have any legal recourse only puts you in the societal bin. The current prohibition of prostitution in Colorado leaves workers vulnerable to physical and economic danger, problems law enforcement officials say anti-prostitution laws are meant to alleviate. Those laws are the underpinnings to address additional crimes, notably child prostitution, pimping, and human trafficking. Investigation involving more than 25 interviews found that broad support for the goal of stopping those predatory crimes but it also found that the criminalization of sex work in the name of preventing exploitation can have the effect of endangering sex workers and driving them to the fringes. There's a host of problems, mental health decline, violence, uh, worker buying power imbalance, social isolation, which can fester and compound. There's a common conflation between sex work and human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking. The idea between, uh, I'm sorry, the idea being that all sex work is inherently exploitive and that all people involved are being trafficked. I did a whole show on sex on, on, what was it? I was, oh, gee, I do so many of these damn things, I can't remember. It was either slavery um, or human trafficking or something like that. But the the truth behind modern slavery is not sex workers it's economic workers it's people working on ships hauling in fish it's people working uh, at farms that's human trafficking and slavery like 70% of all human tracking trafficking and slavery it's all economic in nature it's not sex work you know, sex work is like the exciting, titillating story, but it's not the reality of the story. And so it, it makes sense because it's the titillating side that people want to sort of think about it more or talk about it more or address it more. But that's a tiny, tiny percentage of the entire human trafficking problem in our world right now. And I do actually see this problem. The truth is muddier. As with a lot of jobs, some people love this one and others hate it. The hours can be flexible, the money can be good, 
Some sex workers can make hundreds or even thousands of dollars in a single night of work. Others work in hopes of making $20 or $40 just to pay for a place to sleep for the night. Some are forced into the work or do it just to survive. Some say that they felt more degraded working low-wage jobs at stores and restaurants than they ever did having, uh, doing sex work. Some operate in environments they describe as safe and supportive, while others, especially those who are working on the street, either uh, enjoy neither of those features. Most workers are women, but men, transgender, and non-binary people also do sex work and face distinct levels of discrimination and risk. Many types of work can be considered sex work, including illegal forms such as escorting and street-based prostitution, and legal forms that include stripping and online content creation. But much disagreement exists within and outside the sex work community over what makes someone a sex worker. Legal workers often make a point to separate themselves from illegal workers. I mean, you get the whole thing. No, I'm an escort. I'm not a hooker, right? I'm not a street walker. I'm an escort. So they make that distinction because of the public bias against those words. And so they have to operate under that uh, vernacular, you know, that cultural way of, of expressing. And it sucks, but that perception has led to a lot of people speaking over sex worker. Uh, sex workers from policy and law enforcement positions quote we talked to lawmakers and it was literally the thing where they said well we didn't read legislation but police told us it would help stop sex trafficking a lot of people don't consider the implications Kalinda said they don't want to be painted as pro-trafficking or pro-pimp or anti-woman those labels get thrown out at you quickly so she understands why politicians don't want to talk about it Democratic Attorney General Phil Welsher declined to be interviewed about sex work. A spokesman said that Weiser has not examined the issue or taken a position. That's not a surprise, West says. They want to pretend that we don't exist. So they're passing legislation that they don't read, they don't want to talk about, and they don't want to admit exists. But they're still going to pass legislation with the best of intentions. Meanwhile, you're disenfranchising and you're isolating an entire section of human beings from being able to be safe performing their job. DA John Kellner, a Republican, rejected the term sex work because he said it normalizes predatory behavior. How do you get from A to B? Decriminalization, uh, decriminalizing prostitution, something many sex workers say would make them safer, would be the wholesale ratification and government stamp of approval on a practice that leaves only devastation in its wake, says the Republican. I love how speak, uh, people speak out of ignorance, you know? Well, we're the party of family values, so we must stop all of this knotted, taught as sexual working because isn't that just slavery? Isn't, doesn't it just lead to a life of degradation? Give me my iced tea, honey. I mean, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? The thought of going to my representatives and outing myself is pretty scary. Criminalization helps keep us silent in a lot of ways. Sex workers said policymakers and society at large are wrong when they frame the issue in terms of whether or not sex work is real work. Whatever. I, I feel like this is where my wife should chime in and just be like, it's a lot of work. <laughs> 
having sex with him is a lot of work. Do you have an idea what I got to do? <laughs> Whenever one thinks of prostitution, the more important thing to consider is that prohibition does not stop it from happening. Much as anti-abortion or anti-drug laws don't stop people from pursuing abortion or from using drugs, workers said. But it does make them much more vulnerable, they noted. You know that if you do get attacked or raped or even killed, that not only are you going to be plastered on the news and called a hooker, but the people who did stuff to you may just walk free. Denver's taken steps to focus more on human trafficking, including massage parlors, and less on punishing sex workers. Denver this year extended the requirement that people arrested for buying or selling sex pay $65 to be tested for sexually transmitted diseases. In 2019, 43% of women arrested for sex work in Denver were black. Arrest records show black women made up less than 5% of Denver's population that year. So 43% of women arrested only make up less than 5% of the population. A density map of overall arrests in the city for sex work shows roughly the same inverted L shape that highlights where many other forms of disparity, such as in education, housing, and public health persist. That means people facing arrest related to sex work are frequently the most desperate and the least empowered. These are people who are often terrified is this the time I'm going to pick up someone who's going to beat me or hurt me? Is this the time I'm going to be in the alley with someone who will stab me? Said Alice Norman, chief public defender in D Denver. They don't go after the men or women that are escorts. I've seen some sightings of those, but there aren't the people they pick on. I believe so many have to do with people that are poor, people of color, people that are already disenfranchised in many ways. Pazin insisted that disparities do not equal bias in his ranks, but added, we'll definitely acknowledge that societal bias in this case, the public most often reported street-based sex workers in Denver, influences police, uh, police behavior. The result is higher arrest rates for street-based workers, some of the very people who are more likely to be exploited. Keel spoke of one woman who came to her nonprofit having recently been sexually assaulted and in need of safe housing. Because she does engage in sex work, she said if she tries to report anything as a sexual assault, it turns into an interrogation of her and her character and what she did, what she's done in the past. She was terrified. There's your next massive paradigm shift. Really helping to strip a label from someone and see that person as a human first and foremost. A human who needs resources, shelter, who just needs a break, a place to land, Finger said. We're so ready with our labels. You hear, this person is a sex worker, boom! You got 50 stereotypes before you have time to think. Ava doesn't want to do sex work forever. She's 22 and she says she thinks of quitting in the next decade or so, or starting a family. But like others in the field, she worries about how this career might dim her prospects for a different one in the future. The fear of being outed is pervasive and damaging to mental health, she said. Um, so, here is the other side of that. Inevitably, there are individuals who find themselves in a position in life where they feel like they have nothing else that they can do. So they feel pushed into this because they have no other options open to them. It is not the rule, but 
it does happen. Those often are either under the thumb of a pimp or often are completely helpless when it comes to sexual assault or aggression of any sort, and they just are hoping that they can, uh, you know, do what they got to do to survive. That's not all the cases. So you can't extrapolate this idea of, well, then just don't do it if it's so dangerous. Because not everyone has these choices. And it's easy in my position to think, well, I would never find myself in those positions, so I could never actually see myself doing that. But there are people born in the middle of the jungles of Africa that are murdered by neighboring tribes or, or warfare. There are people born in uh, the Middle East who have American drones dropped on them for no reason, just because they're of a certain age and they're murdered. There's people who are just traveling through a market and a fucking terrorist comes and blows them up. The chaos of the universe does not fit into every individual's lifestyle. And so we are challenged to be able to step out of ourselves, out of our lifestyle, out of our safe little bubbles, and really understand the complexities of others' situations. Perspective is important as a Satanist. You have to be able to step into someone else's shoes to fully grasp their station in life. So because I can't understand it does not mean it's not real or it does not exist for others. Now, that doesn't mean I have to care. Of course not. But it does mean that I should at least consider that it is a reality for some who just don't have other options in their Maybe it's just in their own mindset. But the point is, because they find themselves in that situation, does that mean that they should just be left to the whim of whomever happens to come across them? Do we live in a society of laws or do we not? Because if we do, then there are protections for individuals. And if we don't, well, then let's stop pretending. And as long as we're going to pretend, well, let's just say... Because you engage in activity that maybe is not for everyone to engage in. Does that mean you're not a human? You don't deserve to be treated like a human? And how can you at this point in time, in 2021, honestly think that the prohibition of anything is going to somehow make it better or go away? That, that's insanity. It makes the problem worse in every case. It's only the ignorant, the truly stupid, that believe, oh, if we just make it illegal, it'll go away. No, it won't. And in some cases, it makes it worse. Now, this does not extrapolate to everything, but in cases of regular behavior, the oldest profession, it certainly is. Drive me nuts. Uh, if you had to go back to adult care homework, you would do bear porn first. I mean, and that's the, the reality of, of a lot of this is what fits your sensibilities and your desires out of a work environment, right? Because again, not every sex worker, in fact, it is only a tiny fraction of them that are actually those streetwalkers that feel like they're disenfranchised. A lot of people are just going online and doing online sex work. 
you know, OnlyFans makes their money off of it. When they tried to ban it for the split second, they realized, oh shit, we just lost all of our base. We need to bring it back. When you see social media networks banning nudity, you see a huge drop-off on use of those social media sites. <laughs> I mean, we are human beings. We want to fuck. We want to see people fuck. We want to see people naked. We want to see them do weird things. That's what we do as humans. You can't just close your eyes, hold your breath, and just pray to Jesus and expect it to go away. Um, all right. You can't wait to see OSHA sort out legal nuances of sex work. You're going to need to use a condom on your dildo. It's really for the best for everyone. <laughs> OSHA comes in with like a legal pad looking around the room. When's the last time you cleaned those dildos? <laughs> I'm going to need to see your wash-off room. <laughs> you, you need a rinse-off room that's adjacent to your performance bed. We don't want you to get a, you know, old cum on you. No one wants old cum on them. That's gross. You people are gross. All right. What are we talking about? Let's do a little creature feature because we're already at the end of here. Creature feature. <laughs> Let's just legalize sex work everywhere. Let's legalize drugs everywhere. Let people do what they want to do, and if they want to kill themselves, let them kill themselves. But at least let them have a smile while they do it. You're absolutely right, silly. If prostitution was legal, there would be much less concern about human trafficking. All right, let me throw up a different image here. I want to preface this by saying I do have the first Will of Time novel on my shelf, but I have never read it. Um, in my uh, younger days, my buddies and I would like swap fantasy novels back and forth. And it actually started with his mom. Like, she would read a fantasy novel, and she's like, hey, you would really like this, and give it to her son, and her son would read it, and he's like, hey, Adam, you would really like this, and he would pass it off to me. And so we went through tons and tons of fantasy novels and series um, just with that same pattern. Good book, pass it to someone, they read the good book, pass it on. This particular one was sent to me, and I just never got around to reading it, and there was always other things I wanted to read and other things I still want to read, and I just haven't gotten around to it. So when I saw that Amazon was creating a series based on it i was like "Ooh, that's kind of interesting i know nothing about the story it's supposed to be amazing i think there's like 14 novels and it's been going on for decades and it's just this hugely popular fantasy world that i just i'm so outside of i know nothing about i gotta check this out so my wife and i watched it now it has a 7.4 out of 10 on imdb on rotten tomatoes it has 68 percent on the tomato meter and 82 percent audience score um, I do want to make sure that we're clear here. There's only three episodes out right now. There's going to be, I think, eight ultimately, but there's only three episodes. And so all of those ratings are based on the pilot and two episodes, and that's it. Now, that being said, there's a lot of furor, <laughs> fur, fervor, furor, fur. There's a lot of people freaking out about this because they changed up some things. You know, they, basically, the first season is supposed to be based off the first novel, but there's a lot of ideas that they, the producers uh, and the writers wanted to throw in to sort of get people set up before 
all of the other seasons happen on the off chance that they don't end up happening. And so they, you know, sort of switched some stuff around and they condensed some material and they took the, per the, the focus off of one dude and they put it on a group of people instead. And, and so there are some changes, but if you have a series of novels 14 long, you're not going to be able to do a series off of it and stay true to every letter of the novel. There's just not time. People have to realize that a script needs to be distilled to the essence of the story, not the letter of the story. And as long as the essence is there, then it's all gravy. Like, you just enjoy it for what it is. Enjoy it in the same way that Michael Keaton's Batman film was amazing. Heath Ledger and Christian Bale's Batman film was amazing. Very different Batman films, but they can be good. You don't have to just only be one thing. You can have the same comic book hero with different versions and different takes by different authors and still have the essence of the hero there so you enjoy the different perspectives of it. You have to take that approach when it comes to film and series being adapted from novel and text. At least that's what I do. And that's why I don't like go up in arms about stuff like this usually. <laughs> usually. Unless it's Star Wars, then it's sacred ground. <laughs> Everything else is up in the air. All right, so the log line is as follows. Set in an epic fantasy world, the Wheel of Time follows Moraine, a member of the incredibly powerful all-female organization known as the Aes Sedai, as she arrives in a small town of two rivers. There, she embarks on a dangerous world-spanning journey with five young villagers, one of whom is prophesied to be the Dragon Reborn, the one who will either save or destroy humanity. So it's just, you know, it's one of those burgeoning hero stories. It's just set in this really fully realized world with a whole bunch of socio-political groups that are entrenched in the world. And they're just fantastic. It's why we love sci-fi stories like Dune. It's like we love fantasy novels like Tolkien. It feels like a lived world that we're just stepping into. This is the same way. Now, I, I do have, this is probably going to piss some people off. I do have to say that I'm not impressed with this story. Um, so far, three episodes in, but they did change it up. So the novels take the focus of one of the guys and the narrative is behind the guy. The story opens it up so that we can explore different characters and different characters' perspectives. As far as storytelling goes, I think that's a strong choice to make, but it also then makes the, the understanding of who the actual hero is a little more fuzzy. They also change some stuff up. So in the I think it was the first episode. There's a scene that I'm not going to spoil here. There's a scene where it's this guy and his wife and tragedy happens. And I was so stunned by the scene. I was so shocked that I cried out. I was like, oh my gosh. And I just, I couldn't focus on the rest of the film. I was just focused on how I would act in that moment that that scene happened. This doesn't make sense to you if you haven't seen it, but, and even if you've read the books, it's not in the books either, which is why it's so powerful and so shocking to so many people because they give you just enough information to start to give a shit and then they fuck it all away. And so you're just, you're left with the impact of the event and not the impact of the character's experience. The problem with doing that is that you don't care about the character. You're focused on the event. So the whole time, I'm thinking, if I was in that place, what would I have done? How would I deal with it? What are the choices or decisions I would make going forward? And what you should be doing as an audience member is going, 
I wonder what they're going to do next. I wonder how they're going to be taking it. I'm internalizing it because it's the event that's hyped and not the experience. And they totally blew apart the whole show because of that. The whole pilot episode. And it's just not that good. Like the, the art design and the art direction, they actually built sets for this. And they look beautiful. But the special effects and the creature work, they're just not as good as it needs to be to be immersive. And the problem is, is that there's some really low budget creep show episodes that have better creature work than this TV series with millions and millions of dollars thrown behind it. And that should never be the case. It should never be the case. I don't know what you're spending your money on if your creature work looks like shit. If you're going to go practical effects, which I think you always should start, start with practical effects first, then you got to get talented people in those positions to really pay it off. But the creature design didn't even look good. And now they're going off of written description from a novel, right? So you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as you're fitting those few adjectives and descriptors. And what they came up with is just like, is it a were-boar? Is it a boar minotaur? Like what? There, there's this creature in there that I just can't wrap my head around. And it has to be like the big bad creature that we've been introduced to in the first three episodes. And so I don't know if I'm just being hypercritical because we've been spoiled with shows like Game of Thrones, which shown amazing creature design and work. And, you know, even shitty shows like The Walking Dead, who are experts at creature design. Or even campy creep show episodes on Shudder, which look great compared to this billion-dollar budget. I'm extrapolating. It's not billion-dollar, but, you know, this multi-million-dollar budget series. And the, the problem with it is that you have these amazing sets, eh, acting unbelievably beautiful settings i mean next level settings eh, creature design it's like you're you're only firing on half of your cylinders throughout this and it's frustrating i feel like i'm watching the the shinara chronicles the mtv developed years ago i don't know if you ever saw that i never read the shinara books but it was another one of those fantasy series that people got into when i was a kid um and so i saw the shinara chronicles on uh Apple TV when I was scrolling through a couple years ago, and so my wife and I started watching it. Again, beautiful sets, the acting was meh, the creature design was meh, and it ruins the story. So you can start with a mediocre story, or you can start with a brilliant story, but if the rest of the freaking set isn't firing in all cylinders, no one's going to buy it. No one's going to be sunk into it. It just drove me nuts. And even, like, there's this moment at the end of the first uh, episode where... Um, the uh, Moraine, the, the Aes Sedai woman, is like doing her big magical, super powerful magical spell and like defeating all these uh, creatures. She was throwing rocks. That was the big to do. She was throwing rocks. What the fuck? Just go back to David and Goliath if that's what you're going to do. Give a, a half naked man a sling and just let him go. Because that's not exciting at all. Like what? that's all your magic can do is throw a rock get andre the giant in there he'll throw a rock you know what are you doing Ugh, so dumb all right 
what do you guys have to say about it? I hope I didn't piss anyone off. <laughs> um, when a major corporation focused mainly on sales and production value takes over a humble story. Yeah, you know, you're right. That's fair. That is totally fair. You prefer to just walk away from a show franchise, franchise if it's not doing anything for you. Um, same goes for bands that mature and change their sound. Listen to what you like and stop bitching. Yeah, you're right. You're lucky. You got lucky with the He-Man and She-Ra, like the new and old stuff. I heard that I haven't watched it, so I'm speaking out of school. But I heard that the He-Man wasn't well received, the new one. Uh, the Tolkien's, or however it's spelled, you thought the darkness in the Shadow City was cool, yeah? No, that was there was um. I I I think you're talking about this show still, um, but there is a sequence where they go into like this lost city that does feel very Tolkien-esque. And, and there's like these shadow essences or whatever that come and start like trying to, to kill them. It's different from the book. The book, I think, was supposed to be like a person or something with the shadow. I don't, I don't know because I didn't read it. But I thought it was really effectively done. It's just at that point, I already lost care in the characters themselves. You know, I was just like, I don't, I don't give a fuck about them. You know, and I certainly don't want to sit down for an hour and watch someone walk up a mountain. I would rather do that myself. I would rather be the one walking up the mountain, not watching someone do it. That's why I don't watch sports. I would rather be playing in the sport than watching it like a dumbass. There's no fun in that. Um, this is why you're so nervous for the Tolkien series coming out. Yeah, and that's by Amazon too. <laughs> that's from them too. I hope it's good. It looks good so far in the, I don't know, the artwork. <laughs> Thanks, Salvatore. I appreciate you, man. Um, okay, so anyway, uh, let me give you a little bit more information about this. It was based on the Robert Jordan's novel series of the same name, and it's produced by Sony Pictures Television and Amazon Studios with Rafe Judkins serving as showrunner. The first season consists of eight episodes, premiering on Prime Video on November 19th, with the release of the first three episodes. The remaining five are set to air on a weekly basis until December 24th. In May, the series was renewed this past May, it was renewed for a second season ahead of its series premiere. So again, there are differences from the novel, so if you're a hardcore novel fan, you should always expect to be disappointed, because the novels are always going to be better than the actual story, because you're adding to the, imaginative, uh, the imagination of the experience, right? You're adding to, you're extrapolating from the words and creating this whole world in your own mind. Well, when a producer takes over, they're extrapolating it to their own perspectives, which invariably differs from yours. And so it is going to feel a little bit different. It is going to feel a little off. You have to get over that hurdle. I do think, and here's the thing, I'm still going to watch all eight episodes when they come out because I do think there's something there that's interesting. What I'm concerned about is that one of the changes was that at the beginning, there's this whole um, narrative uh, and it was in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling anything, about Moraine, who is like the, you know, this uber-powerful woman looking for this dragon who is supposed to be this powerful person, right? They're looking for this hero, and they said, it's reborn, and we don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl. Well, because of our times, they changed that. So they said, it, in the novels, it was supposed to be, it's just a guy. It's just a reborn into a guy. That's just the hero. It's the guy. But in the show, now it's sort of up in the air because they need to be a little more politically correct. Like, hey, we don't want to isolate anyone, which is ironic 
Because the entire premise of the Aes Sedai, this super powerful organization, is that it's women only. And we open the show with a guy getting fucked up by this uber powerful woman. So you've already flipped the script. Like you've, you're already in a world that is established as your gender doesn't matter. It's what you do that matters, right? So the focus isn't on boy or girl. The focus is on your essence as a character or the organization that you're a part of. And there's all male organizations that are, have social political power in this world. So it's not like it's a skewed fantasy, you know, sort of like the guy has to save everyone world. No, it's already opened up. So why they felt like they had to include that little line, I have no idea. It's really weird. And it's rough when you take these old school fantasy stories that are already like open to you know different genders and identities and then you try to then make them more woke they're already there that's like trying to take a horror franchise and make it woke horror has always been that way it's called the final girl because they're the ones that live and kill the bad guy until the next movie like it's it's already a thing sci-fi has already done that it's always been that way. You don't have to dive in deeper. It already exists. It's a thing. People are so just retarded with this stuff. They have to interject it in everything. Can we just say, if it doesn't suit your fancy, move on? Instead of saying, it must fit my worldview. So we must change it so that I feel okay with it. No one cares about you! Move on! Fucking people. Alright. I'm done sweating and getting angry enough. <laughs> I'm gonna go try to get out of this room when I'm done here. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what I'm doing here, I know this was, a, I, I like ranted and I yelled a lot more in this episode. I don't, I didn't plan on doing that. It's just that door. I had to let it out. <laughs> I couldn't get out of the room, so I had to let it out of me. So I hope that you're okay with that. Uh, but it is resolved now, so <laughs> I, I won't be uh, discovered years from now. This desiccated corpse with a death grip on the doorknob. Like, I will be able to get out. <laughs> uh, thank, if you guys like or you want to support this show or whatever, just hit that subscribe button, I guess. And, uh, you know, if you want to know what's coming up, sign up to the email list. And if you don't, I don't care. Hey, here's something I do want to let you guys know really quick. And this could just be in my head. I feel like sometimes people are like, I signed up for his email list, but I don't want to make him feel bad by sign like unsubscribing because he's going to see that I unsubscribed. I don't care. I don't care. You don't need to be subscribed to my email list. If you want to know what the shows are coming up, that's why you subscribe to the email list. Not because you want me to think that you like me because I don't give a fuck. Not because, I don't know, you want to be connected with me because you're not going to be connected with me. The only point of signing up to the email list is to find out what's going to be coming down the pipeline. So if you don't want to be a part of it, just unsubscribe. It's okay. I will be okay. I, I just get that feeling every once in a while, you know? Like, I just get this random unsubscribe and so I'm like, huh, I wonder how long they thought about doing that before they actually did it. It could just be in my head. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Watch those doorknobs because they're out to get you. <laughs> Hail Satan. <laughs>